We are going to read from Acts chapter 2 this morning. That's our scripture reading. It is printed for your convenience in your bulletin. You can also follow along online. I do think it's important for you to read the entire uh, uh, section there, especially for what we're going to talk about today, the sermon that Peter has. But for our purposes today, I'm going to only read verses 1 through 4, which is that first paragraph there. So I invite you to hear these words from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Friends, this is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last Sunday was Memorial Day weekend, and our wonderful uh, lay leader, Tina Hardy, preached, and I hope you will go back and read uh, or see that sermon. Uh, She was preaching because we went on vacation, my wife and I. My kids stayed here in town with the grandparents, but my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, and Julie and I flew to Oregon. And my brother-in-law is a a very detail-oriented person. He's a veteran uh, from two tours in Iraq. He is a data systems analyst and data analytics for human resources. He likes data. He is very, very meticulous. We had an itinerary for our trip (laughs) for every single day that we were gone. And I was sort of frustrated because I'm kind of loosey-goosey. I'm, if I get the, you know, the idea of, I'd like some coffee right now. I want to drive to a coffee shop and go get something, but it's not on the itinerary. My wife, Julie, loved it. She said, this is great. I get to go on a vacation and just get to go from place to place and I don't have to plan a thing. So we flew to Oregon. We landed in Portland. And the first thing in our itinerary was to go get a rental car. So we got a rental car. The next thing in the itinerary was to go to lunch. Well, we got there a little early, so we parked on the side of the street, and we walked around for about 30 minutes, and we went to lunch. And then we walked around a little bit more, and we were going back to our car. And I was the one that saw it first. The back window of that SUV was broken. And in the back of that SUV, every single piece of luggage, every carry-on bag, everything was gone. We had our wallets, we had our phones, we didn't have chargers. I had taken out my trusty travel coffee cup and an umbrella because it's Portland, it's going to rain sometime, right? Out of my bag, but that was it. Everything was gone. My brother-in-law spent about an hour trying to get a police officer on the phone, and we never did, so Julie filled out an online police report. (laughs) And then we realized the itinerary didn't matter anymore. (laughs) We needed clothes. We needed toiletries. We needed new things. So we did what anybody would do. We went to Target. (laughs) 
And we had the shopping spree that nobody wanted to have. And then we went on with our trip. And we had a decision to make internally. Do we let this sort of ruin our spirit? Do we let this ruin our day? Or do we just kind of pick up and keep going? Everything had changed. Everything had changed and we had to readjust. Now that doesn't mean that we're still not angry about what we've lost. And it's hard for me because technologically I can look on my phone and see where my AirPods are. I just told some people today that they're at a Motel 6 in Portland. I can't get a police officer to go get them for me, you know, but hey, that's okay. I know where they are. For me, it was all the technology stuff. For Julie, it was her birthday jeans. I didn't really know what birthday jeans were, but apparently they were gifts given to her by her mother and father on her birthday. She calls them her birthday jeans. And they fit just perfectly, right? And now they're gone. You know that game we used to play when we were kids? Hide and seek, right? The person who was seeking would close their eyes and they would count to 20 and there was supposed to be no peeking, but we all peeked, right? Just let's be honest, we all sort of looked around a little bit at some point. Do you remember what we say at the end of counting to 20 or 50 or whatever it is? Ready or not, here I come. I feel like in life, there's a lot of ready or not, right? There's a lot of ready or not in our lives. Ready or not, this is the moment. Your first child, it's time for that birth. Ready or not, here they come. Sometimes it can be good things, right? Ready or not, this is the time for that good thing. Ready or not, this is that time for that bad thing. In life, we can try to be prepared for everything, and sometimes we can be. Uh, let me tell you something. I was prepared for that trip. I had every single thing that I could, my Boy Scout mentality, you know, and it was all gone. <laughs> all the little things that I thought I might need, ready or not, gone. We can try to be ready for things, but ultimately, ultimately, we will face what is ahead of us, ready or not. In the passage that we read today, the disciples were mostly ready, mostly ready. I don't know that any human being is all the way ready for whatever God puts into their hands. Even though God does do the work of giving us gifts, of giving us wisdom, of, of granting unto us the things that we will need along the way, I don't know that any of us is ever ready for what God places into our hands, but the disciples at least had a little bit of a leg up. They had traveled with Jesus for so long, and after His resurrection, they had about, you know, 40, 50 days with Him. And after His resurrection, He dined with them on a beach, had fish for breakfast, and they talked through the scriptures. He met with them time and time again after his resurrection to tell them all the things that they needed to know. And so when the Holy Spirit came, they were at least somewhat ready. The Holy Spirit, it says, 
burst into the room where they were sitting. They were waiting. They were told to wait for the Spirit. They were waiting. They were sitting down. The Holy Spirit came in like this mighty rushing wind. It blew through the room, stirring things up. And then the Holy Spirit really stirred things up, and it moved through them. Tongues of what looked like fire rested on their heads, and then they began to speak in different languages. And let me tell you, most of the time when we talk about Pentecost, we spend a lot of time talking about this speaking in tongues thing because a lot of people are confused about it. They think that the disciples started speaking in this odd language that sounds like gobbledygook or whatever it is. And that's not what the Scripture tells us. Instead, it tells us that they began speaking, speaking in languages they did not know. And they started speaking about Jesus to these people that were there from other countries, and they were understanding the words of Jesus. It was, in a way, sort of foreshadowing that the gospel message would go around the world to all different kinds of people. But for today, I want to look a little bit at what happened over their heads and what the reception was around them. Over their heads, tongues of what looked like fire. You might wonder, what in the world is a tongue, right? What, what, what does that look like? If you've ever seen the United Methodist logo, we call it the cross and flame. There's sort of a little flame, a red flame coming up on the side of that cross. So a tongue of fire might look like that, just a little flame coming up like that. And it rested on their head. Why? What, why? What, what reason would there to have a flame on top of your head? I would imagine that this is not just a random thing that occurs when the Holy Spirit arrives in your life. I mean, we don't see that when we baptize a child, do we? We don't see a flame rising on. Thankfully, we've got water right there just in case. In the Old Testament, Moses is out in the wilderness, and he hears God speaking in a bush. What was unique about that bush? It was on fire, right? But it was not burning up, a burning bush. When the tabernacle was there with Moses, this portable temple that they took wherever they went, whenever it was set up, there would be a pillar of smoke or cloud above the tabernacle during the day. And do you know what it was at night? It was a pillar, a tower of fire, giving light to keep them safe in the wilderness. And in the temple of God, when worship was going on from the first temple to the second temple, when Jesus was there, there was always fire. There was always incense burning in that space. Fire had to do something with the presence of God. Fire and the presence of God. Think about how our wonderful acolytes light candles. The light of Christ starts our worship, and once we put out those flames, the light is then carried out into the world by us. Why in the world would we do that? Other than we think that the tongues of fire upon the disciples' head have to do with the presence of God now being with them. 
Instead of in the Old Testament, where the presence of God, the fire was in a building, was in a space, now God's presence is going mobile. It is on people's heads. They are going out into the world and taking God's presence with them. Peter's sermon is that God is doing something new. And it's not just that they are speaking in tongues, but it's that what God promised would happen is happening. God promised that a new age would come where people would see visions and dream new dreams and this new thing would happen. Ready or not, the new time has come, Peter says. The presence of God is with these people in a random room in Jerusalem, and it's about to go worldwide. Starting in Jerusalem, going into Judea and Samaria, and then the rest of the world. If you look at the book of Acts itself, Acts of the Apostles, it's broken down into this very sort of idea. The first seven chapters are about the Word of God, about the gospel being shared in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 or so are about the Word of God being shared in Judea and Samaria. And then the rest of Acts is about how Peter and Paul and others take the message about Jesus to the known world at that point. It all starts here with that presence of God being given through the Spirit to these people who then continue to take it wherever they go. And it's a sign that this new, new direction, this new chapter in the lives of God and the people have started. Peter's sermon was effective at reaching about 2,000 people. Some lived in Jerusalem. Some people were apparently from outside because they had come back into Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. It was not just a time for Christians. It was a time for the Jews to come together. It was a harvest festival. It was a time where they would bring the first fruits from the ground to offer them to God. And it was a time for them to remember the giving of the law to Moses. So this is an important holiday, important festival, religious experience for them to come together. And so there were people who became part of the early church. Ready or not, God's new thing is happening and 2,000 people signed up. But let me tell you, there were a lot more than 2,000 people in Jerusalem at that time. They weren't ready for God's new thing. Some of them believed that this was not God's new thing, that these disciples were crazy, that they were filled with some kind of demonic spirit, or that God would not work through people like this. They weren't ready for it. They closed their eyes. They were comfortable with the way things were. They liked the expected. They liked the known. They didn't want things to change like this. And so, they said, whether it was God's new thing or not, I'm not listening. Have you ever had a child where you try to tell them something that they don't want to hear? And they close their ears and they say, I'm not listening, right? And sometimes they sort of yell to overpower your voice. Ah, la, 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 I'm not listening, right? In some ways, we can be like this. 
When God says, hey, I'm doing a new thing, we want to close our eyes. We want to close our ears. We don't want it to happen, and so we try to ignore it. I know I've done this before, hoping that things would change, but they didn't. Ready or not, sometimes it comes. God's new era for the church began at Pentecost. It's called the birthday of the church. The tongues of fire rested on their heads. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they would be God's mobile temples from that point on. Wherever Christians gather, wherever two or three are gathered, God's presence is there, right? Because the Spirit goes with us wherever we are. If you're in a sanctuary like this, this beautiful sanctuary, if you're on a mission trip with other Christians, God's presence goes with you. Whether you're the holiest of Christians or if you're just beginning, if you're still mired in sin, whatever it means, God's presence is still with you. How do we deal then with the new? How do we deal then with the unexpected? How do we, like the disciples, go with the flow when things have changed and they don't know what happens next? Leonard Sweet, who preached here for our 110th anniversary, coined a phrase called pneuma not. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? Pneuma not. You know what an astronaut is? Not, nautical, sailor, right? Astronaut is a sailor of the stars. Pneuma is the Greek word for spirit, breath. The Old Testament word is ruach, which I think is a better word. I love that word because you have to do the little at the end. Ruach. Pneuma is the Greek word. So pneumonot is a sailor of the spirit. We don't know where we're going, but the spirit leads us. What I want to share with you is that sometimes what is required of us as people of God, when God's new things emerge around us, is that we have to learn to sail with God, which means we've got to have faith. We are people of faith, aren't we? We're people of faith. Sometimes we think faith is this prescripted, detailed way things should be, and yes, we do have scripture, and yes, we do have tradition, and those are vital and important, but we also have the other part of faith, and that is trust. In fact, the word in the New Testament, pistis, for faith, is more related to trust than it is to doctrine. Faith is not just about knowing what to believe, it's about believing as we're going forward into the unknown. The disciples re received the Holy Spirit. Peter said, hey, the time has started, and none of the disciples really knew what was going to happen next, but they demonstrated faith that they would go with God wherever this new chapter led them. Ready or not, God's new thing was happening. They could either try to tune God out or pretend the noon thing wasn't happening, or they could learn to trust. You and I both know that there will be times in our lives that we're not ready for God's new thing for us. How can you lean into faith and trust 
instead of fighting against what is new. I know for many of us, change is not really the thing that we want to happen. I know a few people that love change. They love change. They've told me, I like change. I'm glad that there are people who like change because they're more open to what God is doing around them. But for those of us who don't like change, it's a stretch, isn't it? Sometimes we need more faith. We need more trust. We need to really believe that God is leading us into some new thing and that he will make sure that it works out right. Trust is a difficult thing when you want to be in control or you don't want things to change. Part of what is difficult about trust is that sometimes it looks like God is going to change things that we like. Or it feels like maybe God's not completely in control of everything, and if we're not, if we're not careful, we'll lose something precious about faith or church or life. I recently heard a podcast where a pastor was talking about what was going on in the world today. And he said something kind of troubling for me. He said, in a thousand years, a lot of the companies or countries and all these things that we sort of count on that are out there may not even be here. But you know what he said was? The church will still be there in a thousand years. All these other things might come and go, but he was confident the church was going to be there. And you know how he said that he knew that? Because the church has been here for 2,000 years. It's made it through dark ages. It's made it through renaissance. It's made it through reformation. The church continues. Maybe not the same denominations, but the church overall keeps going. There are even churches now that are sort of coming up from the ashes of a great loss of church and faith in Europe. New churches emerging over there. New life happening in places where people thought the church was going to die. Is it possible that God can pull us through everything and anything? I know that there's only one way to figure that out. And it's trust. We don't know what's ahead. But we know that those who trust in God have seen God do great and wonderful things. Whether we're ready or not, sometimes the only thing that we can do is learn to trust in Him who is giving us something brand new. Amen and amen. Well, thank you for joining us, and I hope that you found this message to be meaningful and life-giving. I look forward to you joining us next time, either on our live stream on Sunday mornings here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. It's at 10 o'clock a.m., or if you want to join us in person, you're welcome to do so also here at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can find out more about our church family, 
who we are, what we do, and how to get involved, as well as more information about our worship services at www.bluffparkumc.org. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.